and welcome back to the Wheel Talk podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. I am joined by the Aussie half of our team, Gracie Alvin. Hey, hey, good to be here. And Matt Deneef. Hi, yeah, great to be back. Excited to, you know, I've got a very big episode today, I guess. Lots to talk about from the Vuelta. Yeah, what a race it was. Holy moly. There is so much to talk about. It was just exciting from start to finish. I think we have some questions and most of them are about the Vuelta. So I think we'll, as usual, throw those into when they when they come into play when we're talking about the race. Before we talk about the Vuelta, there was another a lot of attention in the cycling world and outside of it to the Tour of the Gila, which is a race that is dear to my heart. I absolutely adore that race. Um, uh, it was one of my first UCI races, and um, my there was a lot of attention on the race last week. Not always good attention, and we wanted to talk a little bit about it. Now, Gracie and I have talked in a previous episode um, at a different podcast about a situation that happened last year. And in that instance, we we had a long discussion between the two of us and Amy and Lauren about the issue of trans women racing in the women's category. We're not going to have that discussion today. For us, this is something that we, we obviously don't cover domestic racing. Um, we talk mostly about world tour racing. And, but this, this topic in, in particular is something that I I think we all felt that it was important that we spoke on the matter because we've never been shy about uh, stating our opinions on the podcast. So we're going to just talk about it really briefly. Um, So there was a lot of attention on the Gila because it was won by a trans woman, Austin Killips, who also races cyclocross and... The issue of trans women racing in the women's category is a super complicated one. Um, There's a lot of science that I don't think anybody really knows the answer to. And if you dive into the science, it gets even more complex. But no matter if you agree or disagree with trans women racing in the female category, I think the amount of hate and cruelty that was thrown at both both the race and Austin is something that is just unacceptable cycling especially the women's peloton is a place where a lot of people feel very safe no matter if you agree or disagree with this situation for austin in particular she passed every single criteria that the uci has in place for trans women racing in the women's category she is not the first trans women to race in a uci race or at the top level they're have been women racing in Europe, trans women racing in Europe. Um, I I race against one. Gracie, you did too. She was lovely. <laughs> um, she's she's an awesome person. And I think that th- it doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree, but the the treatment that Austin got and also the race, which is one of the only UCI races left in the US, um, a domestic scene that is dying at the moment, it's just completely unacceptable. And that's kind of where I think things get less complicated. Abby, you've brought up some really good points there, and I'm just going to back you up on that. And I think that I agree. It's it's completely unacceptable to, to an attack an individual or an individual organization. I think at the moment, of course, there are some gray areas, but to... Um, to violently harass uh, one person or a small uh, group of people, no matter which side of the fence you stand on, is not acceptable and it's not going to change anything to do it like that. So what we need and what we talked about in a previous discussion was more robust discussions with more people in the room and better studies, which is going to take quite a long time. And um, it's, it's really makes us quite angry, frustrated and sad to see individuals copying so much hate because it's become such a politicized topic when it's really about when it when it could be really a nice discussion about what inclusivity means and what we might want sport to look like in the future. 
And I think that there's just a lot of confusion and a lot of hate out there that is getting stirred up by the media um, inside of sport and outside of sport. And I think that it's it's an easy topic to get angry about. And I wish that people had put just as much energy into progressing women's cycling over the last 10 years as they do in uh, this particular topic. No, I'm not going to be able to say anything that's more eloquent or articulate than you two have said. So, yeah, well said and uh, yeah, a difficult topic, but let's just be nice to each other, hey? Yeah, I think um, just to close it out, kind of what Gracie was saying and part of what I was saying is like Austin followed all of the rules and as and so did the race. So if your problem is with trans women racing in the women's category, that's something that the UCI and the I- IOC are in charge of so that's something that that you should take to them not to austin um because she's just living her life uh okay so that's our statement i'm sure that (laughs) gracie and i and matt could talk about this at length but we have a really exciting stage race to talk about the la vuelta femenina was this week and it was an awesome race i think there's like a ton to dig into. So I think we should go stage by stage because there's so much from each stage that I think if we tried to go with the major talking points, we'd jump around a lot. What do you guys think? Yeah, good idea. All right, let's start with the with the team time trial. So first off was the team time trial. And we talked in the preview about how the big players were probably Trek Segafredo, SD Works and Canyon Stram. Canyon Stram with like the stellar lineup, the t- team time trial is one thing that they can execute. <laughs> and um, <laughs> they did, but they were beat by Yumbo Visma by one second. Such a close race. And I think not that surprising once you actually looked at the lineup, but surprising because Yumbo Visma hasn't really done much yet this year. No additional statements. <laughs> No, nailed it. No, just good to see Kenyon Stram so close and kind of a recurring theme this season, I guess, and over the next few days of the Welter as well. We'll talk about that. But, um, yeah, it was really the start of a, a good Welter for Jumbo Visma after a, I wouldn't say an ordinary season, but a largely anonymous one for them to get the win on stage one and then obviously success later in the race too. Yeah, agreed. I, well, something I also wanted to bring up was I love team time trials because sometimes it forces a decision of who can cross the line first and who can take the jersey. And sometimes it doesn't get decided. It just happens and it's a bit of a a, a fun thing or a contentious thing within teams of who cross <laughs> the line first. Um, but I feel like they, they tried to get Henderson across the line first which I hope because I think that was really well-deserved for her to be able to wear that red jersey um, to start off the tour. She's just done so well the last couple of years and I think she's been such a a great teammate um, but also just edging ever so closely towards some really big results. So I feel like that was their thank you and um, a nice way to start the tour as well. Yeah, she's been, she's been like just chipping away at it and I, I, I think – She's going to have some big results in her career. She's still so new to racing, um, but she she definitely is just getting better and better. And I think Yumbo Visma is such a great place for her to be able to learn from riders like Rihanna and, and Mariana Voss. So I hope this isn't the first leader's jersey that we see her in. Um, but it set up Yumbo Visma very nicely and Canyon's Ram for stage two, which was another really exciting one. I think one of the main talking points from this one is uh, is Chloe Dygart and her return to European racing. This is her first European race, race on European soil, slash race. This is her first race <laughs> since La Move at Newsblad in 2022. Her first European stage race. And she attacked with like less than 600 meters to go. Nearly got away if it wasn't for Voss. And it was really impressive for a rider who has i mean no experience in the european peloton i think that's a good uh, statement that you said abby sorry to interrupt that um because that's exactly what i was thinking it's the very little experience but in some ways that's an advantage and i you see that with young riders too is they have 
it's not an arrogance, but it's kind of just like this, um, I don't know, like they just don't have this extra pressure on them that the seasoned pros do and they, they just don't get stuck in their own heads or something. Like they just go at it and go for it. And I think that's Daigat's advantage at the moment. Obviously she's super talented and super strong and can get away with moves like that. Not everyone can do what she does. But I think like she just has that advantage of not really overthinking it. I think like you, we saw that in a couple of other stages as well in the finishes, like bloody strong and just doesn't really care. Like she's just going to stay in the front. She's strong enough to be there and she's strong enough to just attack off the front as well. Yeah, Abby, for your written preview on Escape Collective, we did a little discussion in the group chat and I mentioned that you know, I wasn't sure what impact I would have given her lack of experience, you know, racing at this level really. Um and I thought that maybe she would just be there to kind of tow the team around in the team time trial and then be largely anonymous from there on out. But yeah, to see her attack late on that stage and then, you know, was up there in the sprint the second, the, the day after that as well. Uh, yeah, really exciting. I, I just hope we get to see more of her. Um, I hope this is the start of her racing stage races and that we, we see more of that impulsive, confident, maybe slightly naive racing that Gracie mentioned because she's an exciting talent and when she makes it work it's uh yeah very exciting to watch it'll be interesting to see what the team does do with her because she she did drop out before the start of stage six uh she finished stage five which was the first hill top finish not as big of a mountain as stage seven but still a significant climb and she she finished that one but she didn't race six and seven and the team said it was because she had five hard days of racing and she was now going to refocus on the season to come which I found really interesting because there's been no mention of what is next for Chloe. I think given how she rode this race, it would be crazy if she didn't if she didn't show up in another race really soon. Surely she's yeah, targeting the tour, right? Like I was going to say there's a time trial at the tour, right, this year. So she would have to be a chance there, you would think. Yeah, definitely interesting. I reckon she must have annoyed quite a few riders in the peloton though being like <laughs> who call themselves sprinters. <laughs> <laughs> Frustrating, to say the least. Uh, Charlotte Cool won the stage. So another great result for the DSM rider who has really made a name for herself this year following being the lead-out lead out girl for Lorena Weebus in the last last season in particular and she got a couple opportunities to sprint in the Giro last year but this this was a major win for her so it was, it was cool to see if not unsurprising I, I feel like I keep saying words and I'm like do these words work as words but anyway I'll keep talking um, Mariana Voss with her second place notched six bonus seconds so she moved into the leader's jersey and also kicked off a winning spree where she won the next two stages. But although Mariana Voss won stage three, and that was a huge cool thing that happened after her uh, her surgery this winter and coming back from that, the crosswinds were what defined stage three because they they didn't blow the race apart per se, but Trek Segafredo were caught out. Uh, Guy Riolini, Matt's pick for both Rider You Should Know, which... Actually, like, I only realized as I was typing it out in the preview, risk, love it. Like, this is your risk rider. Get it? <laughs> okay, cool. So glad that joke landed. Um, <laughs> uh, rider, you should know, and GC pick for Matt. And she was caught out in, in the crosswinds early in the stage. Amanda Spratt was still in the front split when that happened, but had a puncture. And so it ended up that the entire Trek Segafredo team was almost three minutes down on the stage um, at 2.41, which will be interesting on stage seven. And that really took Trek completely out of the GC contention. They were the major losers on the day. There were a couple of other GC riders in that move, like Marta Cavalli, who's still working back to form. So I don't think that we expected to see her up in the general classification for this race. Um, but yeah, that was that was a, a really bad day for Trek Segafredo. Yeah, it's a shame we didn't get to see it because I think that happened. <clears throat> excuse me, I think that happened before the TV coverage started, didn't it? Which was a, a bit of a theme for the week that a big moment happened before coverage started. But 
yeah, I wonder what happened. Were they with the team at the back having a chat, or what was what was going on? How how did the whole team miss the split like that? Apart from Spratt, obviously, who got unlucky, but yeah, strange maybe. Yeah, it was it was a really interesting situation, and this stage in particular had very minimal coverage. Once we started, it was basically like really close to the finish and I saw a lot of complaints online but actually I looked into it and the projected time the projected kilometers to go with the fastest possible time that they thought the women could go uh, was 55k to go we should have been tuning in still not enough in my opinion but we would have seen a lot more obviously if it had been 55k worth of viewing because the women went so fast, <laughs> the coverage turned on too close to the finish to know what actually happened to Jack Segafredo. So that was partially them obviously not being able to predict the tailwind that the race had for a good chunk. And also, um, I guess, not knowing how fast women can race their bikes. <laughs> Pretty fast. That was a joke. But. <laughs> Damn, all my jokes are just like not landing today. I made a, such a good joke. No, I won't go into it. Okay. Uh, so Voss won the stage. <laughs> her her first win of 2023, which we love to see. We're all Voss fans here. Stage four was awesome. <laughs> I knew the stage was going to be so good because there was a climb close to the finish and a descent and it looks pretty technical. So there was a ton of attacks, including attacks from Leon Lippert, who did not ride super well in the final three stages, like I thought. I was pretty surprised to see that. But she had attacked. There was a point where Lippert and Volering were off the front together. It was just complete chaos where I didn't expect... I expected this to be an exciting stage, but I didn't expect to see a lot of the GC favorites in contention for this stage. And it did all come back together with another late race Digert move before the finale. And Voss took her second stage win in a row, which... She's on pretty good form to make it into that group. It was a good stage. Stage four was a very good stage. And also shout out to Lizzie Dignan for getting herself into the top 10. I think we're just seeing flashes of her good self coming through again. It's going to take a little while. Like she's only just coming back to racing, but she would have done a ton of work for her Trek teammates the day before and um, and then just to still, you know, put her nose in the the front bit of the the race. It's kind of exciting to see that she's, you know, getting back into it. Just a note on Voss as well. I, you know, you said before, Abby, we're all fans of her. Of course, I think anybody that watches her race is a fan. But there's just something so nice about seeing somebody so successful still really enjoy winning. I know that sounds kind of silly, but you could imagine someone who's won, what, 250 bike races or whatever would kind of be like, yep, that's another one. Just add that to the pile. But she's, she seems to really enjoy it, really celebrates hard, really gets around her teammates and thanks them. And I don't know, there's something just about that, that that I really appreciate. And, you know, it helps knowing that she's just a good person as well. You know, we've had the pleasure of meeting her. You know, she's just a, a very humble champion and um, it's hard not to enjoy watching her race and watching her win like that is, yeah. Very exciting. Yeah, I was cleaning out the a bunch of old interviews I had um, stored on my phone from the Tour de France Femme or the La Course by the Tour de France in 2019. And I ran into her the next day at the start of the men's race. And I was so nervous and I went up to interview her. And she was like, Abby, don't be nervous. I'm just like you. We're the, we're the same. We both race bikes. And I was like, you know my, you know my name. <laughs> but she's like so cool. And yeah, so I think, I mean, it's, it's only natural to be a fan of someone who, yeah, is so excited every time she wins, even though she's won like a hundred races in her career. More she's than a hundred. Yeah, <laughs> She's won so many races and it's just like, it's I think totally. that it's interesting. I, I think this was her first win though at the Vuelta, like the stage three and then stage four mm. was the second. Like she's, I think she's had 30 something, 33 Giro wins, Giro stage wins. But like, you know, obviously Tour de France Farm was the first time last year in the new format. So, you know, she got, she got a win there and like, she's, it's taken her a little while to get the Avuelta win as well, because just of the way that it's been run and it hasn't been run for very long anyway. So it's funny to have such a winning rider who's won almost everything to still, you know, have a few firsts here and there. 
Yeah, and her and uh, Van Vluten are the only two women to have worn all three leaders jerseys, which doesn't really, is not really that impressive as a, a stat if you <laughs> factor in that the Tour de France Femme has only been running for one year. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> but as the years go on, I think that that is something that um, the two of them will hold for a while that I don't know if many other riders will be able to accomplish that feat. So I was, I was thinking last night that uh, we'll probably look back on this period in a few years' time once Voss is retired and be very grateful that we got to see her race. You know, we kind of, we always call her the goat and she is and, you know, that's kind of obvious. But I think it'll only be once she retires and we look back, we'll be very grateful that we had the opportunity to see her do so well for so long in so many different ways. Um, yeah, just it's a privilege to watch her race, really. Yes, it is. Massive shout out to Emma Norsgaard, who this was her first race back after breaking her collarbone. And she finished second on this stage, which is awesome to see. Um, so hopefully that means that she's coming good before the, the next couple stage races, because I imagine we'll see her in Ride London probably, and um, maybe the Giro or the Tour coming up. And Marlon Rusa got up there in the sprint, mostly because she attacked in the like last at the last second. So she managed to slot her way in there. But yeah, her and Blanca Voss were were three four, so they were up there as well. Stage five, the first hilltop stage, won by Demi Vollering. I think we could have all predicted that she did distance on Van Vluten by three seconds. So there was like a crack. There was cracks that showed. And can we just? We'll get to stage seven in a second. But we, can we just talk for a second about how? <clears throat> Van Vluten getting dropped on a climb was not on my 2023 bingo card. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and, and, and like more than once. It's happened more than once. So, Like when was the last time that – I don't remember the last time that the road went upwards and Van Vluten wasn't, you know, two notches above every single person around her. Yeah, probably at the Tour de France Femme last year when she was – you know, on death's door. She had door. a stomach infection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just before she rode away from everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think besides Demi's win, which was obviously, uh, I think we all saw coming based on her form at the Ardennes, um, Ricarda Bauernfeind, who was oh, yeah. your risk rider, Gracie, had an incredible ride on this stage. She finished third, but she was really the only one to be able to hang on to those two for any amount of time once they got near the top of the climb. Evita Music also rode super well in fourth, and I think she's a rider that ever since she won that stage of the Giro Donna, she's been really close to being a rider to watch but is still very young and has a lot of experience to gain before she's a rider that is going to contend a race like this but she made it she had also a really good ride on this stage but ricarda was amazing and this is like her first year in the world tour she was on the canyon Stream generation team last year and made the jump up this year and i think she's a rider to be really excited about for the rest of the season Yep, for sure. I think it's interesting too um, with Baron Fine and Music in that uh, there's a bit of a shift within their teams. Um, for Canyon, maybe they're not, um, it's not that they're not backing Niwa Doma anymore, but they're just changing some of their team tactics around how they race as a team and what energy they spend in the race. And I think opportunities there are opening up for other riders then instead of just always putting all of their eggs into the basket of Cassia she's still capable like we're all big fans still but I think that's a really good move by Canyon to like start racing a little bit differently now and with FDJ like Cavalli is just um you know not where she was this time last year so that is opening up the opportunity there for music and I think like she's showing how talented she is for such a shot um, such a young rider. Uh, it also benefits Cassia to have this pressure off of her because I think she's been the top rider for so long on that, ever since she joined the team. And she was one of the top riders on WM3 when she was there and on Bowls. And I think like for her, having some pressure taken off her is not the worst thing in the world. For her to be able to race a little bit differently than she has in the years previously, which have worked out for her sometimes, but on the rare occasion, I think 
it's it's a great thing for Cassia and for Canyon Sram to start to divvy up their leadership a little bit more. <clears throat> yeah, and we saw um, Niwidoma do a little bit of that in the last stage as well. She was on the attack with Rusa towards the finish, and we saw some of it in the classics as well, where she was a bit more willing to go on the attack than she might have been previously, which is good. I was just going to say on music, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but um, she's only done a handful of race days still this year. So she's still building. And I, I think you know the tour will obviously be a big focus for her, but uh, I think we haven't seen the best of her yet this season. I think well, she ended up fourth overall, I think. Uh, no, not fourth. Um, in, the, in the top 10 anyway, overall this week. And I think she's going to do even better than that in the weeks and months ahead. Yeah, obviously the tour is huge for FDJ, Suez, as a French team. So for a French rider to be their leader going into a French team. But that'll be interesting once we see Cecily, Cecilia uh, Utrecht Ludwig come back into play. We'll talk about that for sure later. Stage six. This stage was bonkers. <laughs> um, there's so much to talk about with this stage. And I have so many thoughts and opinions. But the stage was won by Guy Riolini. And then Annemiek Van Vluten, and then Guy Riolini. Um, that was a just totally bizarre situation at the finish because if anyone saw the finish line photo, it was clearly Gaia that won that stage. But the two of them broke off the front with about 34-ish K to go. Uh, Annemiek Van Vluten's Movistar team had put a lot of pressure on the race in the crosswinds early on. Demi Vollering picked a really bad time to go pee, and the red jersey was handed over to Anamique at the end of the stage. <laughs> Where do we even start with this stage? <laughs> so there was a ton of controversy around the fact that Movistar put the pressure on when Demi Vollering had stopped pee. Obviously, there's a lot of respect unwritten rules when it comes to the leader's jersey and stuff like that. Uh, like, I'm off off the top of my head, I think of when uh, Vinigo crashed at the tour last year, or when Pogue crashed at the tour last year and Vinigo waited, um, for example. But, God, I have just so many thoughts. Okay, so... <laughs> While it was super early in the stage, and this is this is where it was so frustrating that we didn't have start to finish coverage mm. because we should have been able to see this. If we'd seen the whole thing, there would be no discussion. I've heard from riders in the peloton that for 10K before Volering stopped, Movistar was lined up at the front. So they should have seen this coming, SD Works, that it was a moment of possibly overconfidence from SD Works, which is something that they've earned after the spring that they have possibly, uh, that they they picked that moment to, to pee, but the entire peloton, according to my sources, knew that crosswinds were coming and knew that the race was gonna split. Trek Segafredo knew, Yambo Visma knew, and Movistar knew. Movistar copped most of the heat because obviously Van Vluten is on their team and won the race because of this. But I, at the start of this whole thing, when I first heard that Volering was peeing when Anamik had her team at the front, I was like, that is uncool. And then I heard more details around the situation, and it sounds to me... Like Demi Vollering picked just an absolutely terrible moment to take a nature break. <laughs> yeah, thoughts. I yeah. <laughs> I wish that I'd been able to see that all unfolding as well on the coverage because it's hard to believe, you know, all of the different stories. Everyone's got their own story of their day, and everyone's memories get a bit funny sometimes about what really happened. Um, but it was such a short stage. It was 106 kilometres, so it's like you just don't have time to bugger around on a stage like that. <laughs> I would, like, I'm surprised that you take a pee break in a shade, stage that short anyway. Um, so, yeah, maybe I think, Abby, you kind of brought up, like, maybe that overconfidence or some kind of, not arrogance, but, like, that they, they, they've kind of, they're the bosses of the peloton and, that they've got it covered or like people will wait or whatever. So I just think that on a stage that short, it's, it's all in. You can't just like, I don't know, expect things to happen a certain way. And, you know, that's why we have short stages is because it makes it a bit more interesting. 
It was like an it was under three hours of racing. Two hours and forty nine minutes for Anamik. Two hours and fifty minutes for Demi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit of a boo boo, really. I think. Yeah, the controversy around this was it was really interesting because you saw the divide between fans of Anamik and not fans of Anamik. There was a very mm-hmm. clear divide there between people who were like. Movistar have no respect, which was a comment that I saw on one of our articles on the escapecollective.cc. It's a great website. You should check it out. <laughs> and also, what was Demi doing? Stopping for a pee. <laughs> um, but I think after talking to riders in the race that it was just a bad call from Demi and that SD work should have owned up to their mistake because I was kind of disappointed to see a lot of the statements after the race uh, from Vanderbregen and also from Demi um, about, about the situation. I think, yeah, it, it was just, they made a bad call and that happens. It's just a bummer that it lost them the red jersey. The upside of it for us as fans was that it actually made the final stage a lot more interesting than it would have been um w- without that one minute deficit for volering volering would have won the welter quite easily i mm-hmm. think i mean not quite easily but yeah would have been most of a minute potentially so um it meant that the tension in who was going to win overall lasted until you know the last 15 seconds of Van Vluten trying to claw her way to the top of the last climb. So not the way you want to create tension for the final stage, but the fact that we got that was an unexpected benefit, I guess. I mean, you couldn't really write <laughs> better, like, final three stages of a bike race, I feel like. the Stage five was like, oh, looks like Van Vluten is going to lose the first major stage race, like... I mean, she won all three of them last year. It looks like she's going to finally be un- unseated as the queen of the stage racing. And then stage six was like, oh, no, just kidding. Can I erase that line from my race report yesterday? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, yeah, stage seven was awesome. So Demi went into stage seven, one minute, 11 seconds down. Rihanna Marcus was in third. She raced so well all week. Uh, we haven't even mentioned her because there was a lot of other stuff going on. But I this was a race that she targeted, and I was pretty happy to see her still up there in contention for the general classification or just out of contention for the general classification um, on on stage six. But also with Guy Riolini being with Van Vluten in that move, it meant that she jumped nine places in the general classification, still almost three and a half minutes down after um, stage three and the cross wins. But she obviously... Uh, <laughs> Anamik made a really funny statement after the stage six um, debacle between who won the stage. And it was that Gaia would have the best legs on stage seven because she had a free ride (laughs) all day on stage six. We didn't talk about that sprint, did we? (laughs) No, we didn't. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That was the other major controversy, Mm. which I, I was honestly surprised to see so many people giving Gaia shit for out sprinting Van Vluten at the finish because in what world (laughs) (laughs) would, would she work with Van Vluten? Never. Insane. I mean, like, yeah. So, so Gaia obviously had better legs at the end of that move because she sat on, on Van Vluten the entire time. First of all, incredible that she was able to hold on. She obviously had really good legs. So it was, Something else that kept her out of that split on stage three, just poor positioning. She's super young. She's 21 years old. So going into that stage, she's three minutes down on GC. She's 21 years old. She's racing against the world champion who's won like every single race on the calendar. Why would she pull? (laughs) (laughs) She's never won a world tour race. Like Our colleague, Jose Bean, on coverage last night made the good point that I don't think Van Vluten even asked for a turn or, you know, why would she? She's, you know, really is not going to pull. Nobody in her situation should have and she didn't and and that gave her an advantage in the sprint and good on her, you know. And even with sitting on for that long, I don't think anybody would have picked her to win that sprint, but she did and that was really exciting and I guess another uh, string to her bow that makes her even more exciting for the future. 
it also meant that we had a situation where we we knew that Van Vluten was going to come good in this race. I knew it. I wrote it in my preview and said it out loud in the <laughs> podcast preview. I knew she was going to come good. And we had what happened was she won the race, but she never won a stage. So we had mm. more riders winning stages, which was great to see. There was also the awesome comeback of Trek having a stage win after just abysmal race on stage three that kind of tanked whatever ambition they had. So I feel like as far as a written storyline for a race, it was a great finish. Definitely. And made stage seven really exciting, which Guy Rialini was, again, one of the major talking points coming out of stage seven. Her and Demi Vollering just slowly chipped away at Annemiek Van Vluten on the final climb. And finally, Annemiek cracked, and they were able to ride away and take the stage. Demi took the stage and almost so close, <laughs> so close to taking the overall. Annemiek came in 56 seconds behind Demi, which meant that Demi lost the red jersey by nine seconds. Yeah, quite an incredible spectacle for the last, I don't know, 10Ks or 5Ks even of the stage, you know, them climbing through the the mist there. And then there's that descent they do just before the last ramp where Vollering and Riolini going around that sharp left-hander in the mist. And, you know, as viewers, we can't see where they're going and it looks like they're just turning blindly into the, the mist. And then Van Vluten coming out of the mist with the car's headlights and all of that with the timer counting down to to see whether she'd hold on. It was a, yeah, fascinating finish to watch. Really, really exciting. And um, yeah, Riolini's second. What an incredible result for her. And then third overall. And as you kind of foreshadowed earlier, Abby, um, she ends up 241 down on GC, which is exactly the time that she lost to Van Vluten in the crosswinds. So um, we probably, you know, we don't know exactly what happened to get her out of position that day, but I imagine she'll learn from that experience and um, yeah, certainly not the last we've seen of her in stage racing, probably not even this season. And if she's doing the Giro, which you'd have to imagine she is, then that's a a scary prospect for a bunch of her rivals, I think. Yeah, imagine what would have happened if she hadn't lost that time on stage three. This would have been a battle. I mean, obviously... We don't know, but it would have been Mm. such an interesting dynamic on that final climb. And as I mentioned before, like, (laughs) Volering dropped down a meek on like a 12 kilometer long climb. Mm. I never thought I would see this happen. Like every single climb that we've had in a race for the last, I don't know, eight years, you look at the profile and you're like, oh, Anamik's got this. It's like almost not worth watching because Anamik's got this. And the only rider who could ever challenge her was Vanda Bregen. And then Vanda Bregen retired and Anamik just dominated every single stage race last year that she lined up for. And this is so exciting going into the tour. I am buzzing for the tour because all of these riders are going to be back at that race, you would think. Except maybe Riolini, because she might be targeting the Giro, and then they'll sit her out. But I don't see why they would. There's, I think there's enough time in between. There's a lot of time before then, but still, like, looking at how this race went down. I mean, Avita Music, another great ride this day. Ricarda as well. There's just so much to be excited for. And I think that this race was, like exactly what women's cycling needed after a spring that was potentially a little bit disappointing or not disappointing, but just a lack of lack of oomph <laughs> because of the SD works dominance, if that makes sense. I think too, it's going to be exciting in the future because um, like when I was watching all the highlights uh, with the Kimbers, she said, who do you think is going to be the next big rivalry when Anamik retires and I think a whole bunch of women are putting their hands up already. I think Demi's not going to be head and shoulders above everyone else straight away. I think it's still going to be really exciting racing um, once Anamique retires, and it already is. So it's kind of cool now to see just that depth coming at at this kind of races as well. So with these longer climbs, it... I agree sometimes it was a little bit boring here and there to just be like, oh, okay, this is what's going to happen. But I think now, like, I think Raylene is going to be so competitive in the next 
up to 10 years probably or more even and Demi's still going to be around for a long time and then we've got all of these other riders coming through as well so I think that the future's looking pretty good for women cycling. Uh, Van Vluten said after the stage yesterday that uh, she didn't feel like she had the best day that her legs weren't that great and you know, I don't know how much of that's true but if it is true that she's not at 100% that makes it even more intriguing for the tour I think. You know, if she's still building, you know, she had a pretty ordinary classic season. If she was still not at her best here and she's going to be building towards the tour, then that battle gets even more interesting, I think, once we get there, was what I was going to say. But um, the other thing I'm keen to hear both of your perspectives on this is Volering's doing a lot of racing between now and the tour. So she's doing Atulia, uh, Burgos, Tour de Suisse, Dutch Championships, then going to Altitude, I believe, and then the tour. It's a really long block of racing, basically almost nonstop from the start of March through to well, early August. It, how is she going to be able to manage that? Is that is it possible for her to still be on top form by the tour? Can she come down enough to be able to then get back up for the tour? How, how will she approach that, do you think? I don't know. That's like, I think she's playing with fire there because um, obviously she, she came into the Ardennes <clears throat> She took some time after Strada and came into the Ardennes fresh. So she's not coming in with loaded legs to these next couple races. But this was seven days of really hard racing. And I don't know if the the women's calendar is so packed now with races, especially in the month of May, that I think she's really taking a risk racing that much i don't think that idzulia and burgos are going to be as challenging as this race was i think this race the the peloton treated it like it was a grand tour um and obviously the women don't have grand tours they don't have 21 stage rate one 21 day races but a week-long race for the women is as close as we get um apart from you know the 10 days of the giro so if we if we are calling this a grand tour the women treated it like it was and they raced it was just top notch racing the entire week and i don't know if they expected that going in when they planned her next couple races or what but i think it'll be interesting to see how she comes out of the next couple races if she ends up cutting one of those races short to take a break before she then peaks for the tour or yeah i I think this is uncharted waters she's super young too like in in racing terms so it's it's a more experienced rider that would be able to take on that kind of load and manage it to be able to perform again in the season. If it was on Amika, I'd be like, yeah, she's very experienced. She knows her body super well. Um, but for Demi, she has Anna Vandebregen as her coach. So I think she knows what she's doing and her director. So I think, yeah, Anna knows what she's doing, but it's still, it worries me a little bit, actually. I was just going to say the same thing. She's got a good mentor and coach there in Vandebregen, but Vandebregen did it for a lot longer so it's it's just tough so I don't know some people prefer more racing than training um everyone's so different of how they handle things but also like the emotional load too Demi gets quite emotional after every race which is not a bad thing at all but that might be also just something that ties you out a little bit more um sometimes people that bottle stuff up also get very exhausted. So I'm not saying that that's like good or bad either. It's just, yeah, it will certainly be interesting though to see how her body and her mind handles all of that pressure and load. Should we answer some listener questions? Yeah. So the first question, Gracie, I was hoping you could explain what a barrage is. (laughs) because we had (laughs) multiple instances this week of people having issues with that. The most notable being Nee Fisher Black when she crashed on stage five and was held up for too long to be able to make it back to the front of the race. And then there was also rumors of cars being pulled or moved around when Demi was trying to get back after her nature break. Yeah, I'm I'm probably not going to get this spot on, but like a barrage... I guess official, officially you define a barrage as like a block 
And in racing, you would say that the uh, of the official car one or two, uh, depending on the situation in the front of the race, they'll be they're the ones that decide what other cars and motorbikes get to go in the gaps between the groups. And say a rider's had a mechanical or crash out of the front group, um, that's when some of those official commissaire cars can make the decision whether a rider get, is allowed to have their team car help them back into that group or not. And in the case of Neve Fisher Black, they did not allow any cars into that gap and it was impossible for her to bridge that alone and that was why it was so frustrating for her and, and sad. She was pretty upset at the end of the race because it's somewhat of a grey area there of like how much help you're allowed to have and at what point of the race too and, and what kind of a stage it is. And it is a bit subjective for the commissaires to make those decisions. So sometimes you can get helped back and you don't get any consequence for it. Sometimes you get you're, you get helped back and then you do get consequences for it. And then other times you're not allowed to help back at all and you're just in no man's land and it's just like the worst day ever. So I felt for her, um, but ultimately you kind of just have to cop it and take like you don't have a choice, whatever the commissaire decides. And sometimes it's, it's the right thing or the wrong thing. And, but when it's you, it feels like the wrong thing. <laughs> there was a nice moment at the end of that stage where Fisher Black finished the stage and came over to Vollering, who was in the pen behind the podium, um, waiting to go on, on stage. And she was on the rollers, I think. And, um, yeah, Fisher Black was in tears, very upset and Vollering kind of stopped writing and gave her a big hug and consoled her. And I don't know, just a small moment, but just one that makes Vollering even more likable, I think. Very, you know, we've talked about her emotion and the emotion she shows, but she's also there for her teammates in a really touching way. And yeah, that made me like her even more. Yeah, agreed. Um, next question was why was Anamik wearing number seven? So, although the Saratizit Challenge by La Vuelta has been going on for a couple of years, this was kind of a rebranding of the race. Um, the first time it's called La Vuelta Femenina, and I think the race wanted to rebrand a bit. So, they didn't give Anamique number one, and it was up to Movistar to divvy out the numbers, and Anamique was number seven. Would you think it was, like, alphabetical, or she would have liked to have number seven? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It... it the team list is alphabetical except for Emma Norsgaard, who's out of position. So I don't know yeah. what that's about. Yeah. But yeah, number one was Ord Bianic. So yeah, she got number one. Um, all right. <clears throat> this is a big one. And maybe one for, I don't know, Ronan McLaughlin. But um, can you talk about the UCI equipment regulations impact on a small rider like Riolini? The minimum bike weight is close to 20% of her body weight. Um, this is an interesting one. I actually talked, well, I guess that was a different podcast, but I talked to Ashley Momenpasio about this, about how the UCI's weight limit impacts the women's Peloton because for riders like Ashley and obviously like Riolini, who is minuscule, um, the, the bike weight minimum is, is a massive impact on their on them because it's a way larger percentage of their body weight. So this is something that I don't know how much we can speak on it other than saying, yes, that is a big impact. <laughs> it's a lot of weight that they have to carry. Yeah. Matt, an, you might note. be able to see more. <clears throat> <laughs> no, no, I, I'm terrible on tech stuff. Oh, okay. but, um, the, uh, there's an interesting point in the question though about, uh, the reeling was possibly struggling to reach the brake levers from the drops um, because of you know, the relative size. And we'd have to find out, <coughs> excuse me, we'd have to find out if that's true or not, but that, yeah, that's definitely a downside. And if you can't, you know, descend in the drops properly, then that feels like an unfair disadvantage, doesn't it? I've always said, look, I know nothing about bike tech, but I've always thought that levers should curve with the frame, you know? I don't know anything about bike mechanics, but I think that that would be more aesthetically pleasing and also easier to reach. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> what was our favorite moments from the race? I can go first because it sticks into my mind because I was literally jumping up and down in the kitchen. And my favorite moment of the race was stage seven when it looked like Anamik was going to be di distanced, but it was too close to the finish for Demi to be able to 
take the red jersey back, but then Anamik was still there, and then it was like, well, bam, she wasn't there anymore, and it was just <laughs> this moment of tension that was just like beautiful and and. I have nothing against Anamik, and I'm glad she won this race. I feel like this was one of my favorite victories that she's ever had because it was so tight and there was like so much action at play and it wasn't just Anamik riding away from the rest of the race. But it was still the fact that Demi could have taken it back, that she was just so close to taking it back after all of the drama of stage six. That was the best moment for me, was the moment that the elastic snapped. Yep, I was going to say the same thing. And the as I discussed before, the... um. The, uh, the yeah chase through the mist towards the top of the climb was pretty special um but to add to that the uh the sprint between Rialini and Van Vluten really close and to see Rialini win that was yeah super exciting yeah I, I love that moment too with Rialini at her team car just like with her head in her hands just like not believing it <laughs> which was really cool but I'll try and pick another moment just to mix it up um i loved actually stage two the sprint because yeah it was obviously that move by Diger was really exciting and it, it looked like oh my god she's gonna just run away with this and then voss just like being like a shark but then voss looking over her right shoulder mm. and cool coming on the left and i just actually yeah, watched yeah. that replay a bunch of times because from the front, you're like, oh, Voss, what are you doing? But then from the above, you're kind of like, it just mm-hmm. made a bit more sense. And I just, yeah, I always love watching sprint replay. So I thought that was a particularly good one. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up, Gracie, because from from front on, it looked like Voss's hesitation cost her the stage. That mm-hmm. was my first impression. I was like, oh, what's she doing? She's lost it. Yeah. But then, yeah, you watch it from above and it, she only hesitates so briefly. I don't think it would have made a difference because... Cole was coming so much faster from behind it. Yeah, wouldn't have affected it. But yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. The final question is about why SC Works wasn't at the front on stage six when that move went. Um, obviously, it was 70 kilometers to go, but was isn't it normal for there to be a teammate at the front to patrol breakaways even if they're uh, even if the race later stopped for, for a nature break? And this was interesting because Marlon Russo was up there. Um, she was in that front group and patrolling that move. And Demi stopped with multiple teammates and then one teammate got a flat at the same time. So it wasn't like the entire team pulled off the front or pulled off the back with Demi. Um, just a couple people stopped and then one person had bad luck. But Russo was up there and she, Demi said after the stage that, or I think it was maybe Demi or maybe it was in the statement that Anna Van der Bregen made after the stage, that they were hoping that Demi would get within, close enough within reaching distance of the front group that Marlon would be able to drop back and then basically power her back to the race. That obviously was before Anamik made her attack and went off the front of that group so that it was just her and Gaia off the front. Um, but yeah, there was a rider policing the breakaway. They didn't all just stop. <laughs> We really need to just see start to finish coverage. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what we, for both stages three and stage six, uh, those two stages were just, we can't, there's not really a ton that we know without seeing the whole stage. Stage seven as well. The live coverage started just as they were summiting the first of only two climbs on the day. And while it didn't really affect it because the group came back together, to miss most of that climb was kind of disappointing. So that, I think that was 45 Ks to go on a 90 something kilometer stage. So yeah, a bit more of that would be nice, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we used to just ask for live coverage. Now we want start to finish live coverage. <laughs> it's never enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, it was such an exciting week. And I think we're all really looking forward to the next race, which is at Zulia on the 12th of May. At least I am. I feel like I was a little bit this happened so close to the classics and I, I was a little bit burnt out. I was like, I need a break from, from racing to be excited about it. But this completely turned it around for me. I feel just rejuvenated <laughs> in my excitement about bike racing. I feel a little bit thrown. You know, when you have like a public holiday and you ju- then you just don't know what day of the week it is after that. I feel like having the Volta <laughs> at this time of year, I'm just like, I don't know what 
we're doing now. You're like, shouldn't the leaves be changing color? <laughs> shouldn't I be wearing a red scarf and listening to All Too Well on repeat? No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I'm already doing that here in Australia. It's getting pretty cold. But, That's um, true. <laughs> no. That's true. For you, it is the fall. So. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just strange to have the welter on or finished now. So, Do we think it's a good change, moving it to May? I was going to say, yeah. Um I don't know. I've, I'm still undecided. I would like to see how it impacts the races to come and how it impacts the turnout at the Giro before I make the call of whether or not I think this was a good move. Yeah. For the race, it was obviously a good move. Uh, oh, yeah. The race was a lot better than any Vuelta we've seen before. But as far as the greater women's calendar, I think that that, I don't know. I don't think we know yet. Hmm. Yeah, like you say, Abby, it's a very congested few weeks coming up, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bonkers few weeks. I can't really speak for the Peloton, but I always found I really struggled in the back end of the season, just mentally and physically by August. And just you're just trying to pick up the pieces again to like do one more peak for Worlds. And the Volta was always just like a bit of a drag because like any race at that time of year, to be honest. And I felt like everyone was so much fresher for this one. And it was like... The, the scene setter for stage racing for the rest of the season. So, yeah, I think the same as Abby. Like, I'd like to see how it impacts the rest of the season. But for for a standalone, I think it actually was really awesome. Man, and Worlds is like three days after the tour ends this year or something. So that's going to be really interesting because the back end of the season is just going to be, well, we'll get to it. <laughs> don't um, worry, don't worry. The world's, the world's race is like 10 days no, it's two weeks after the tour finishes. Oh, good. Okay, cool. I think maybe I'm just flying the there world's, the men's race is yeah. right after. World starts yeah. pretty soon after the women's tour finishes, but the women's road race is one of the last events. Mm. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up the episode, this has been a really awesome conversation about a really awesome race, but what else have you guys been obsessed with this week? <laughs> Matt? Oh, no, you're first this time, Gracie. I've got to think of something. Okay, I tried to think about it already. I'm I'm obsessed with yoga at the moment. Like, I've practiced a lot of yoga on and off over the years, not, like, diligently or, like, I'm not very good at it. I'm very inflexible thanks to cycling. But um, I've just been doing so much at home the last couple of years since retiring one, to save money, and two, just because I just don't know what my routines are. And I'm like, I should go to a studio or I should go to an art class, but I just haven't, like, been going out and about yet. But I've been really missing doing group stuff because I used to love bunch riding. So I've been going to park run, and then I just went back to a – I've actually been going to a yoga studio, and it's just so nice. It's so much different to doing it at home. So that's what I'm just absolutely loving at the moment. I've managed to find a good one thanks to a friend. And every time I go, I feel good. I also have been obsessed with an activity. Um, Where my parents live in Montana, there's a mountain right behind their house. And it has tons of single track and like really smooth single track with like a couple rocks here and there, but nothing too technical. And I have been loving riding my mountain bike. Uh, put the baby down for a nap, hand my mom the monitor, and then go out and ride my mountain bike for an hour and a half. And it is just, oh man, the joy. Oh, I love that. Somebody commented on, I posted something on Instagram in my new Velocio kit because I got the the oxide red bibs and jersey, and it is like, oh man, I, does I, it look good? I can't wait to get those red nicks. I, I I got the jersey, the special like the new one with the yellow sleeves. And it's so beautiful. Mm. I wore it at a, a gravel event a couple of weeks ago, and I just I'm obsessed with it. So I saw Man, the the bibs look so good. Yeah, I saw your post online. I was like, mm, that looks good. I'm gonna get some. <laughs> <laughs> someone uh, someone commented on that post and was like, oh, Gracie's getting to you. And I was like, well, I was gonna comment if only I could be like 10 percent as cool as Gracie is. <laughs> but I try. <laughs> You're pretty cool, Abby. Right, I'm not very cool. Don't Thanks. worry. <laughs> Thanks, Gracie. <laughs> Matt, what have you been obsessed with? Oh, this might be a bit of a spoiler for you, Abby, but um, for those that don't know, um, Abby, myself, and our friend and colleague from the Escape Collective, 
Ian Trelaw uh, have a music podcast, which I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago, called The Album Files. Um, the album we're looking at this week is one that I recommended, and it's one that I um, uh, listened to a lot as a kid, but have had have rediscovered now. Um, it's called Diorama by Silverchair, and uh, going back and listening to that as an adult with fresh ears... Um, yeah, I'm obsessed by it. I won't talk too much about it. You should go and listen to the album files when that episode comes out. But there's something really cool about revisiting something years later that you have strong memories of but haven't listened to in a while and going back and seeing if that all lines up with what you thought of it and um, tapping into the memories of that time, you know, when that, that piece of music came out. So um, been obsessed with that. I'm looking forward to talking about it on the album files and um there you go nice little cross promotion as well for you abby <laughs> yeah first of all excellent <laughs> reference and cross promotion second of all i have so many questions that i can't ask them until wednesday <laughs> yep. thanks everybody for listening to this podcast it's been great and we'll be back next week to talk about it zulia 